All right, cool. Let's uh, let's get cracking. Uh, what time? Uh, to be honest, I don't, I don't have much to say on any of this kind of stuff. I haven't really been thinking about it. You say that now, and then yeah, uh, yeah Alex, no. this is this is, <laughs> this is classic Thor. Three hours in. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that that ends the fourth chapter of my thesis. <laughs> Yeah. Which brings me to my second point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, four, four, one, five. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to Elite Rugby Banter. It's the podcast about rugby on this day, the 24th of November. Uh, when you hit December, you'll understand why we keep repeating dates. I'm your host, Adam, coming to you from Johannesburg, uh, where it's been raining a lot. So things are looking a bit better for the water supply. Ben, how's the water supply in Mauritius everywhere? Uh, it actually hasn't been that... It hasn't been raining much lately, but, like, compared to Mauritius, so it's, just, it's quite wet here, generally. But, yeah, it, it actually rained this morning, and now the sun's come out, and it is so fucking humid. It's unbearable, like. Yo. Otherwise you will. Yeah. Yo, um I had a I had a weird little incident which uh, I feel I feel I can share with you guys. And so I, I had and the listeners don't, don't worry, it happened it happens to three out of five men. <laughs> yeah, um I was so I was pushing James in the pram to try to get him to like calm down before I put him to sleep. And then, sorry, I'm at I'm at Joe's uh, parents' house at the moment because Joe's at some yoga retreat, which is close to here. So, nice. yeah. So anyway, so I'm pushing James, and their their sort of like weird aunt rocks up, and she's like kind of 85 years old, sort of unmarried, just prop like really irritating lady. And then she's trying to like she's like trying to say something to me, and I'm just like, no, be quiet, because James is trying to sleep now, so I don't want to. I don't want to talk to her because she just, she's like, honestly, she's the bane of everyone's life. Anyway, sorry. Sorry for any of our elderly <laughs> listeners. Um, so then she sort of wanders off and she's kind of scratching around the house. So I was sort of outside on like the kind of the patio area. And then I see her like at the sort of the front garden and she's sort of, she's like bending down. And I'm like, that's okay. That's fine. It was, she was next to the tortoises. So I was like, oh, maybe she's, patting a tortoise or something. And then I see she's left like a, a white thing on the floor. So I was like, what's she doing? She's just like littering or something. So then I, so then I, I walk around with, with James and I see it's a, it's a cat, but the cat's been obviously like attacked or hit by a car. It's a, like a kitten. And the thing was like basically dying. So I was like, oh shit, now I'm going to have to either call the vet or kill this cat which you know i don't really <laughs> want to kill a cat yo, a like, she, story, yeah. yo well why is she she's making me make these decisions like yeah <laughs> so anyway um point of story and fortunately unfortunately whatever like um i was preparing to do the necessary and then the, the cat died so i just dug a hole and buried it but still like who the fuck comes to someone's house and leaves a dead cat in the garden what the hell huh? where yeah. did she get it from I don't know what happened. Like I'm not, but I'd walked there like a minute before, and there wasn't a dead cat there. I'm sure I would have remembered that. So, yeah, you know, I don't so, know. There's a, a weird. Story. Yeah, and then she she sort of ran away before like I could sort of quiz her on this dead cat as well. So that's pretty weird. Yeah. I mean, she, yeah, that's pretty weird. 
Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so you can well, see I, I was a bit I was a bit shaken by this, huh? I, no, I, I, I don't blame. Like I I'd feel the same way. Like I also I wouldn't know what to do in that situation. I've had, uh, sorry, I've had an incident been? like that. Um, I was at my brother's place like last year, and near near the door there was a bird just lying there, and there were these two cats that were just like dicking around with it. Like cats can be real dicks sometimes. Like I have a mm. cat and I love my cats, but they they're quite murderous creatures. They're busy messing around with this poor yeah. thing, and it's pretty much dead. Like, it's busy dying, and they're just leaving it there to, you know, suffer. So, oh, I, yeah. I was supposed to do a similar choice, Ben. So, I, yeah, I ended up uh, killing the bird. Um, and I, did, I do think I still suffer trauma from doing that mm. since. So, was, I, 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 I don't want to go into detail how I did it, but, yeah, um, it's, it's a tough call. So, good on you for making the humane decision. But you, you, you will live with this trauma, oh. Ben. <laughs> No, no, no. I, I didn't. I didn't end up killing it. It actually, uh, it, it, it died before I kind of had mm. to make a make a decision. And, but yeah, and I was it's not probably like, going to have. It's not like to... you would have had. It's not like you would have had time to get it to the vet or anything. Like yeah. if it was dying that quick. No, no, no. It was. Yeah. You know, it was. It was it's dead, not. It's but, not. It's um, not fun. I mean, um, let's just say that. Match Alex. I mean, we've we've been Brought we've been quite lucky in that regard because our well, I was just, I was going to say our our cat always kills things dead. Nice. So I've never had How's to it? euthanize anything. It's it's funny. Like I've never actually um, I've never killed, killed any. No, I've I've killed. Well, I've killed lots of fish, right? But like we don't really think about that as counting a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like because I mean, you know I I used to go fishing quite a lot when I was a kid, and uh, you know I'd have to kill the fish myself. So you just got to sever the spinal cord with your knife. Um, a lot of people don't. A lot of people like catch the fish and then chuck it in like a bucket or just let, like let it suffocate um and my dad was always very strict about how like you got to you got to finish it off like you know, do the humane thing basically um and it never really never ever bothered me like i just i'd look a fish in the eyes and, and kill it um but i would not be able to do that with like a mammal or uh well maybe i mean i've never been in that position i'm not like i'm not anti-hunting or anything like that it's just it's never i've never had to um, but even like a bird or, I don't know, like it seems, I don't know, like why do we hate fish, guys? Like, why do we just hate fish? Yeah, point of story, what the fuck fish? Like, if yeah. fish were more lovable, like, they would be a far more, uh, treasured species. Probably, yeah. But anyway, so on, uh, for a brighter note, moving from death, from death to life, yes, um, I went yeah. for a, the, sec- the second round of our antenatal classes yesterday. Oh, nice, and how those um, And I, I at least now have a, a theoretical understanding of how to change a nappy and how to bath a baby. Um, so that's good. That's promising for the the, the survival of my firstborn child. Uh, I, I promise you that 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 bathing that bathing a baby thing. It's like they teach you how to bath a baby in like the perfect situation. Yeah, you know, if, never, the, if the baby like just, no, because the baby's fucking trying to rotate and drown itself the whole time. Like I promise you, it's not. Um, it's like yeah. you just you just grip it and then you just wash it as quickly as you can. Like that's how you yeah. wash a baby. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, it was it was like a really useful class, but at the same time, I, in the back of my mind, I was like, you know, this is all great, but you know, until it's it's kind of like taking your, your your learner's license. You know, you can learn all the stuff, like what all the signs say, but until you actually get behind the wheel of a car, you're not going to know whether you can drive or not. So yeah, well. That's- I'm, I might just go find a baby if it, to practice on. Well, if it makes you feel better, I I'd held one baby ever before James was born. 
Yeah, that doesn't make me feel better. But <laughs> and <laughs> and James hasn't and James is still alive. Yeah, that's true. That actually that part is true. Yeah, and you you've held James, Alex, or I have you? I'm James. not sure. Yeah, so you you super experienced. You're fine. You got this, man. Yeah. Well, I'm still, I think I'm still going to pump up my old rugby ball and put a few nappies on it just in case. Yeah, no, I think that's some good. What, 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 once actually, the, it, it's quite easy to change a nappy when they sort of until they're about six months old. Then after that, when they start like kicking and squirming and rolling over, yeah, yeah. and the, then changing a nappy becomes a whole it's like a negotiation. Okay. <laughs> for, for you yeah. listeners who who don't know, our alternative podcast is called uh, Elite Rugby Dad Banter. <laughs> Where we chat about dad <laughs> and rugby. <laughs> and we haven't even hinted. We haven't even hinted at rugby like, like, this episode. What are we here for again? What are we, which, which podcast are we on? I, yeah, the, I think we're on ERDB. Um, Matt, okay. Matt, Matt wouldn't feature on ERDB. Uh, neither would I. Okay. But uh, I'm, I'm taking lessons, guys. I'm taking notes. If I ever have to cross that Rubicon. Matt is currently watching wrestling. I understand. In yeah. Korea. Which That's, is most exciting. I look, yes. We look forward to some pictures. He does send some. He does. He does send his regards, so he that he won't be here. But hopefully he will be back next week, where we hopefully chat about the year in review. We got a lot going. But for this episode, I think we've been quite whimsical over the December period. So today we're talking about the tale of three coaches. Um, we might get into some retirements too. But much like Charles Dickens, the tale of two cities. He did. He did write that, right? Yeah, that okay. is correct. Okay, good. Now I just took. Okay. I didn't want to sound silly. We're going to be just chatting a little bit about Rassi, Chaka, and Hansen, Ben's favorite. Where should they go from here? Their legacies and all things associated with them, actually. And then based on how we do that, we have no idea what the, rest of the episode's going to sound like. So before we enter that myriad and, and winding road of a conversation, let's look at some news. And speaking of winding roads, Hugh Jones, who used to play for the Stormers back in the day in Super Rugby, he's looking to come back to Cape Town. Apparently, he's had a fallout with current Glasgow Warriors coach and future Australia coach Dave Rennie. We'll get into him later. At the Glasgow Warriors, he's interested in coming back to the Stormers, uh, particularly since the Stormers have lost, amongst others, Diamond Allender, JJ Engelbrecht, doesn't count, EW Fillin, and Dan <laughs> Creel. And the only sense currently on the books is... So, Dan, so, Dan they've, so they've only lost uh, Damien Allender, is that Yeah, pretty much. I don't mind EW Fillin, Fillin. Uh, but currently the centers uh, are... E-W for Lyon, Alex. The only centers left is Dan, du- Dan Dupassi, Ruan Fanoa, Rickus Pretorius, uh, Michael Hasnar, and Matt Moore. Of those names that I've never heard of, are they any good, Alex, or did you know much about Rickus Pretorius uh, was the SA Under-20 center. He's, he's very good. Yeah, okay, cool. Well, he's, but he's, obviously he's, he's, he's probably not at Super Rugby level now. And then Mark no, he probably isn't, but like, I, he's, he's the kind of guy who, so physically, he's like a specimen. He's a beast. Um, he's probably the same size as Damon Allender, if not bigger. Um, and he's only 20 years old at the moment. So, like, he's, he's a big guy. I would chuck him in the deep end and just say, like, you got the physical attributes that can't be taught, and you've got yeah, you know, a year like of great Learn on the job, yeah. Yeah, like they're on the job. Like there's a new coach. Expectations are, I would say, relatively low this year. Oh yeah. Because it's like it's Dobson's first year. We've lost a lot of guys, you know, whatever. Um, so the pressure's kind of off. I would chuck him straight into the number 12 jersey personally. But number 13 is like a bigger problem. Um, 
I think currently Dan Duplessis that you mentioned. So that's yeah. Jean-Luc Duplessis' uh, cousin, I think. Um, they He's probably the front runner. I like him a lot. I think he's good. I don't know if he's like he's going to go on to become a, a household name in Super Rugby. I think he's he's like a good squad member to have in Super Rugby. And like you know, a lot of teams would be lucky to have him as their backup 13. I don't know if he's... He, he's like, yeah. he's like, he's like Bateman. Yeah, he's like the Tim Bateman. Um, <laughs> what, were you, were you going with Patrick Bateman? You're saying he's a bit crazy. No, I, like I was going for Tim Bateman to yeah. say he's a, he's, you're not, you're not, if you see him on the team sheet, you're not like, oh fuck, but you're not like, oh yeah, like business yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's like exactly. That's right. Like he's the kind of guy who, like your your guy would your your main player would go down, and then the next week the coach would be like, we're replacing him with Dandy Plessis, and you'd be like, oh, okay, that's actually not as bad as I thought. Uh, but if you were the opposite <laughs> number thirty, <laughs> I, I, I think that's his Instagram bio, Dandy Plessis. Not as bad as you thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, so if Dandy Pussy's girlfriend or wife is listening, please don't send me a Facebook message to shout it. That's just my opinion. Um, but anyway, yeah, so definitely Hugh Jones back at the Stormers, I think, would be a real upgrade. Um, although at the same time, like, if he's out of sorts, if he's out of favor at, at Glasgow of all clubs, I mean, Glasgow's not exactly... They don't seem to be know. super picky. Yeah, well, they're, they're, just, they're not exactly the Crusaders of the North, let's put it that way. Well, they're not um, bad at so, Glasgow. It's fine, but this is what I'm saying. Like, so I don't know. No, just, I, I, I have I have been watching them play. I haven't been watching him play. I don't know if he's where he used to be, but if he is, then definitely a good addition to the team. Yeah, because he he's actually had a major f- because he was to me in 2018. He was one of the best players in that Scotland team. Yeah, and a lot it of it was like Laidlaw, Laidlaw, Hogg, Hugh Jones, uh, what's his name, Richie Gray. Like they were the sort of you know, those are the yeah. first names you'd think of, but Hugh Jones is really just... Yeah, like and like a lot of people considered him to be in the conversation for like, you know, I think he was, he might have been in the Six Nations team of the tournament. Um, like guys thought that at that point, number 13, he was one of the best. Um, yeah, also like, yeah, I think he was probably, the, if he carried on that know, trajectory, he was British and Irish Lions to like guaranteed almost. Yeah, I think a lot of people said that. And mm. it's, you know, it's just weird, like, because he had a meteoric rise in the first place. Um, he came out. He came through UCT to play for Western Province and then for the Stormers. And like he was only here, like on I don't like know, a gap year or something. Like it was. Yeah, it was like on a gap year. Like he was coaching rugby at, at Bishops, I think, something like that. And yeah, like no one. He kind of slipped under the radar, and then suddenly, like over, almost overnight, was like an international talent. And then similarly, it feels like almost overnight just went off the off the boil. So maybe he's trying to, to kind of get back to where he was. Where he, yeah, where he started. Go, go, go back to his roots. Yeah. yeah I, the the other issue we didn't bring up is obviously he's got a salary expectation now. Yeah, true. Which I don't, I can't see that since the Stormers have whatever it is, negative 60 million rand in their bank account. <laughs> yeah. They probably yeah. kind of str- struggle to meet that, but yeah, you know, like I don't exactly know how their their cash flow is. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. Uh, maybe he's not asking for much. Who knows? 
Yeah, well, anyway. at least you have an idea of who might end up playing centre. And the Stormers, look at the Lions right now. There's Wendy Similani, who probably take 13. And, and Franco Nadea, he's been released. So I have no idea he's even going to start 12 for the Lions. So, is, is Forster still there? No, he's gone. Or is he? Um, I, was, I know Conrad's uh, gone, Mapua's gone. I was under the impression Forster was yeah. gone too. But maybe not. If, he, if, if he's there, then he's done mm. something. Who was, but who's, who was the partnership in Carica? Ah, uh, that's actually a good question. It might have been Frank and Nordea. Sim- yeah, it was Nordea and Similani. But I saw something on okay. Wikipedia that for Nordea had been released, but maybe not. So maybe Wikipedia got that wrong. But yeah, but Super Rugby next year is going to be... Maybe someone's cool. editing Wikipedia to fuck with your draft, Adam. This, Adam. Is very, this is very possible. Uh, I think we guys, I think we all know who that would be, right? Phil. Well, it would be Phil doing that. I mean, you said it. You said it, not me. It's full that meta. It's full that meta. <laughs> oh, Adam, oh, Adam, that... if if you if you not if you not falsifying Wikipedia pages, are you even <laughs> playing draft? That's what I. That's that, that, that's, that's what, what I'm I always say. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> talking talking of draft and I guess a little bit more Super Rugby. Where is that story here? All oh, right. Um, uh, Gideon Kuchlenberg. He has signed to play for the Rebels and Super Rugby in 2020. It will mark its oh, it's the Rebels' 10th season, also in Super Rugby. Shelf have been around for 10 years. And they have announced their squad. Let's see. They'll join 10 new faces. They'll join 26. Uh, joining Kuchlenberg in Melbourne is uh, former Bills Pros Kubos Iloff. He's part of the Rebels development squad. He's contracted. In the last six months, uh, the Rebels have resigned seven players. Also, uh, Aisi Nasirani, he's going back. I think he's going to be a big one for him. Also, a big one to watch and draft. And then along with Marika Corribetti, arguably Australia's best player at the World Cup. Adam, um, you, you, you didn't you didn't bring up Rebels' best out of uh, the, their best signing. Who was that? Jordan Harry Yeezy. Potter. Oh, uh, Harry Potter. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they signed, <laughs> they, they signed him out from... Yeah, bring a bit of magic to the field. Yeah, from, from, New, South, yeah. from New South Wales, uh, from I think City University. They picked him up there because when I saw that, I did do some research indeed. We had a debate, uh, dear listeners, about... Because... Uh, Potter, the living legend that is Harry Potter, like Scarlet Legend, <laughs> he was born... <laughs> Scarlet six... Legend? <laughs> Scarlet Legend? Yeah, he was, born... <laughs> he was born six months after the first Harry Potter book came out. So we were just wondering if his parents are actually to blame for naming him Harry Potter. It was just... I, I, no, I, I, I don't think so. Him. I think Harry Potter kicked off more with the second book. Yeah, I definitely kicked off more yeah. the second book. I, I, I only I only started reading them when the second book was already out, personally. Yeah, well, I bet you every newspaper man involved in rugby on earth is hoping and praying that Harry Potter plays some rugby for the Melbourne Rebels and scores tries and just does magical shit on the field. Do we, do we know anything about Harry Potter apart from that his name's Harry Potter? Uh, he went like, to, what position does he play? Uh, he is a back. Harry Potter Holland Rugby. He went to Sydney University. I did do something. Uh, England qualified Harry Potter. Included Melbourne's Rebels Rugby squad. Okay, we now know he's, he's qualified for England. And hold on, I'm bringing up something now. Let's see, Melbourne Rebels. Let's get rid of this. Uh, uh, let's see. I can't see what position he plays. I was only impression he was like a wing. Something like that. Yeah, I, I, for some reason, I thought he was a wing as well. Uh, Isn't it just because we all assume he's a seeker? He's a wing, <laughs> but he can also play. Would center. you say? Would you? Would you <laughs> say seeker's seeker's closest to wing? 
Yeah, definitely. He, yeah, he is... Like, you, you, do, you do fuck all for most of the game, and then, like, you just do one little thing, and you probably win the game with it. He, he was listed as a center yeah. at his club, Sydney University Football Club. He is 1.85 meters tall and weighs 95 kilograms. He doesn't sound like a prospect. No, not really, but he's there. So, uh, 95 is, like, 95 is a bit chunky for 185, isn't it? I don't know. It's like it's not it's not out of the realm of normality. Like he... I think it's kind of Lucanio Am proportions, isn't it? No, he's yeah, he's a bit... maybe. Uh, but yes, okay. Kocklenburg's there. Um, I think he might struggle to get some game time. Just, but I mean, there's still Luke Jones there. There's where's his name, bro? Matt Phillip. Yeah, if I was if I was, yeah, if I was, if I was, no, was... Joining, uh, joining an Australian franchise, the Rebels would be the last one I'd go to. Yeah, literally, it's the... Yeah, they... Well, maybe... No, they actually, they have the best locks, yeah. They do have the best locks. I'm seeing, uh, seeing it's James Tuttle. He's headed over there from the Reds. Who do you think is going to start at nine? I'm starting to see who the other option is. There's all, there are a few new faces here that I don't actually recognise. Yeah, yeah, maybe. For yeah. the Rebels. Yeah, yeah, for the at Scrum Half in particular, since genia has gone. Uh, did they have the other brother? Let's see, James Tuttle. Um, from, uh, from the Blues... Blues. A Pulu? No, no, no. Um, a Ruru. Ruru, yeah. Other, 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 other uh, Ruru. yes. No, spot on. No, that's a good call. I'm just trying to find his name in the squad yeah, list. I don't actually see it anyway. So I'm just going through the squad. Adam, stop trying to sneakily prop up your draft sheet. Just fucking do the podcast. Okay, Andrew Kettaway, uh, he also, he's also signed <laughs> from New South Wales. I don't actually see him there. I don't actually see Michael Ruru's name here. So he might be missing. Okay, I'm going to make a note about James Tuttle. James... Okay, that's fine. That's draft starts now, and then uh, moving on, moving swiftly along. The Bulls have also revealed oh, the latest no. signing. Adam's gonna have James Tuttle in the draft. Yeah, oh no! Definitely. Oh, <laughs> <fuck>. <laughs> <laughs> are we gonna count the James Tuttle? Uh, Patrice Mosetti. Well, actually, do you know James James, like... James Tuttle kicks for poles, eh? And who who will their fly half be? Uh, he might not be the worst signing. I was like all over that. Like a year or two ago, when he was kicking balls in the NRC, it was just terrible for me. Uh, as I said, Patrick, it doesn't help if you get nine points kicking for balls if you get negative also, three just, around the just field. Just for the record, I, I actually know who the scrum I was going to be for the Rebels, but I'm not going to say because I want him. Yeah, okay. Patrice Mazzeppi, so he has signed a deal now uh, with the Blue, the Blue Bulls company, and he now owns an equal majority share uh, of the organization. Uh, last month, there was a report that Johan Rupert and Mosepi were looking to do a share deal. However, the Blue Bulls, on Friday, they confirmed that the existing shareholders, Remgro, that is Johan Rupert's company, and the Blue Bulls Rugby Union have reduced their previously equal shareholding from 50 each to 37 to 20, uh, to 37% and 26% respectively. Uh, the deal, which was unanimously concluded on Thursday at Loftus, uh, sees Mosepi now earning 37%. Of the Pretoria franchise, uh, there's a whole bunch of blah blah blah. How close, quick, Strand? How close do you think we are to the privatisation of the African rugby? I think it does need to happen, but in, and uh, I think SA rugby they've like dropped hints that they're thinking about it. How far away are we? Because I mean the current trajectory, play excess so on and so forth. We need more money in the game, and it's not going to come just straight from TV rights, which are propping up the game. Yeah. Mm. I think I think in the next. In the next ten years, I think we'll see it. Um, just in time for our next World Cup win. Mm. Yeah, twelve years from now. In twelve years' time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we'll see it. 
So like 2030, 2030 horizon. But it's it's already become really you know it's like the South Sea sharks and the like like yeah, it it's is pretty, it's sort of at the moment it's a bit of like a hybrid system. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But I think it's inevitable. I mean, if you look at how like we are falling off the pace just so so quickly internationally, um, and like from a business perspective, it must be must be hurting the shareholders. Uh, so I, I I think it's inevitable that at some point we move towards big money buyouts like WhatsApp is that allow us to artificially inflate the value of entertainment in rugby or the value of rugby in South Africa in order to keep players. Uh, but it's it's difficult because I think I don't know how effective it will be in the context of um, like our whole entertainment industry, the fact that it's rugby viewing is essentially monopolized by DSTV and Supersport, and they have a defunct model. So I think much more concerning than the fact that our, our best players are constantly being poached, poached for overseas clubs is the fact that we just our revenue streams are drying up. Uh, and that's for two reasons. Number one, DSTV is just exorbitant and offers like overall not very good value for money. And number two... Like going to live rugby games in South Africa is actually a pretty shitty experience. Like uh, yeah, the value of a rugby ticket, yeah, the the value of a rugby ticket in South Africa is actually incredibly low compared to other countries, um, and that's something that's much easier to fix than DSTV, and it's a, a constant source of frustration. I'm really hoping that the storm is moving to the Cape Town Stadium is going to be a bit of a rejuvenation, uh, but yeah, until they can get that kind of thing right, the revenue, like the bottom line. For, for owning a rugby club isn't going to be attractive enough for private ownership. But I think over the next 10 years, we're going to see essentially like DSTV being dismantled to one degree or another. We'll no longer have a monopoly over live sport. And I think that people are going to finally start providing value for money entertainment at, at football uh, rugby stadiums. Yeah, that, as you said, match apart from like a beer tent, maybe some pretty okay-ish live music, there's like fuck all otherwise yes. even at Loftus you can't drink in the stands during a game I know Lotus Park you can um, I think Newlands or currently Newlands you can Cape Town Stadium not sure what will happen it's like a joke um, I was at this event yesterday and people were chatting about um, the NFL and the match day experience there's only like in theory at maximum an hour of action on the field but it's a four hour experience because there's always something going on yeah. they make it worth your while and yeah. if anybody's ever watched a game in South Africa test matches are okay Apart from the Haddish traffic getting in and out, I haven't watched a Durban though, I've heard it's good. Because the Gears is there, and then the vibe's pretty good, but mostly it's pretty shit, to be frank. So mm. um, I, I agree with you hot, hot heartedly that they try to sort it out. Okay. Wholeheartedly uh, or half heartedly? Uh, I meant to say wholeheartedly, but I, I butchered that, so. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Uh, apparently, <laughs> though, uh, when we're moaning about this, someone's heart is at peace. Uh, Apira Dianti is currently facing a ban after being testing positive, as we all know, back in July for uh, methadone, meth, uh, methyl testosterone, and LGD4033. Sounds like a Dota team or a new TV. Uh, that's the last one. He apparently released a statement uh, on Instagram just saying, one of the happiest moments in my life is when you find the courage to let go of what you cannot change. Five months later, not much has changed except my battles and struggles of power give me strength, my tears, my heartbreak, okay, blah, blah, blah. You get the point. I'm trying not to read through all of it. Um, I don't see his band changing at all at this stage. Yeah. So he has he's, I mean, he's, he's still he's still appealing, isn't he? 
Yeah. Yeah, he still hasn't admitted any any guilt. Yeah, he still so... he still says it's an accident. So yeah, like may, yeah. It, maybe it is a return. I don't know, but given it's a very scientific process, yeah. I believe the chance to be very low. I'm not an expert, but generally these things don't you don't really get it get them turning over all that, all that much. So yeah, look, I mean, I there's there's a mental health element to this as well. Like I I'm, I'm glad that Fair he. Point. Fair point. Yeah, like he's he's getting a lot of support I know from his old school, um, Dale College, and I think that's really important. I don't I think as long as no one is kind of sending him the message that what he did, irrespective of you know, okay, he's he's protesting his innocence, but you know for the time being he's certainly assumed by me to be guilty, and that's okay. Like you can delink, you know, responsibility and and guilt from, I don't know, like a sense of like self-worth and and happiness and like you know he he just if it if it is true then he should be humbled by it and learn a valuable life lesson but it doesn't mean his life his whole life needs to be ruined you know mm. um so from that perspective I'm I'm glad that he's in a positive space um yeah but obviously I still think he should be made an example of from the game's perspective mm. not just not from society's perspective. Like, we don't have to stone him in the streets. No, no. No, no one wants that. No. Although, I mean, if he was gay, Israel Falah might. <laughs> I don't know. I think Israel Falah is too, too busy talking about bushfires and the like. Um, and even even his defense. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to make us angry. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll just uh, leave it there. Uh, is there any more news? I know the barbarians, they beat Brazil. 40 odd, 20 odd. Yeah, Brazil, the 20 odd, actually, it's it's alright from Brazil. Like, that's not a bad, um, that's not a bad showing by them, is it? And, and Rory Best, he took yeah, a conversion, apparently, and nailed it. Yeah, left footed. Yeah. I don't know. I guess he is left footed, but it was a nice kick. He nailed it, yeah. Do, do you think the Barbarians must be like the most lads on tour rugby you could ever play? Like, you're playing against, like, pretty decent opposition, and, oh, like, one of them must be like the Paper Barbarians. It must be the biggest Brazil ever. Yeah, well, that's, like, the whole brief. Especially now, like, like they... That's what they're supposed to be doing. So if they're not, then they're, there's something wrong. Yeah, but that's why, like, when they were playing Fiji, I didn't feel much vibe coming off the Barbarians. But I, I don't know if Eddie Jones is the right coach nah. for the Barbarians. I, I think they should they should get in, like... I don't know, like Jamie Josephs or Quake or see what happens. Get, they should get Carlos Spencer actually. He's, yeah. in, he's in coach. Like they should just get him to, to coach the Barbarians. Just imagine Scott Robinson coaching the Barbarians. He'll he'll teach them to like breakdance and shit. <laughs> yeah, they'd just be too good then. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, anyway. well, that, that, that's going to wrap it up for the news at this stage. Oh, sorry, I, I, I forgot Dave Rennie. So, pardon me, Australia. Dave Rennie was officially announced. No, this is your se- this is your segue. Segway, Adam, yeah, you I know. Got your don't fuck it up, Adam. Come on. Yeah, um, yeah. Dave Rennie, he's been announced on Monday as the coach of the Wallabies. Based from my very limited perspective, good choice. He won two Super Rugby titles with the Chiefs in 2012 and 2013. He has been, as we noted earlier, with the Glasgow Warriors, uh, marking a new era. Australian rugby, so he's the second Kiwi to coach the Wallabies since Robbie Dean stood so in the uh, Uzis, the early Uzis, one might say. Overall, good appointment, I'd argue. Um, certainly probably a bit more yeah. of a, 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 what's the word? More, he's not cuddly, but he's definitely more cuddly compared to Chaker. 
who very much towards the end him and yeah. him and Raiding Castle did not like each other that much. Yeah, I've got a I've got a cactus in my garden that's more cuddly than Michael Checker. Yeah, no, he's a he's an abrasive guy, but yeah, no, I think it's a good choice. He's uh he's experienced enough. I think Andy's got a proven uh, a proven record of success in multiple in multiple hemispheres, jurisdictions, whatever you'd call it. And also, I think it's a bit of a coup because I think they, in a way, they took him from New Zealand. I don't think he was kind of you know the the front runner for the New Zealand rugby spot, the the New Zealand coaching spot, but. At, at the same time, I think he was he was definitely in the conversation, and he sort of Australia managed to convince him to sort of snub his own nation, which is a bit of a win for Australia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, there's like a bit of a history of this, like with um, like with Dingo Deans, for example, um, like coming from New Zealand to coach Australia, and I don't know, like they. It seems like like New Zealand, if they wanted him, they probably could have gotten gotten him, and they actually just had someone else in mind. But yeah, I mean, they'll certainly like. I, th- I was reading an article, and they were basically saying, you know, if Australia were number two or three in the world, then New Zealand might not have allowed this to happen. Um, but because they're coming off like such a low base following the World Cup, like New Zealand would probably like ah. Uh, like, you know, let, them, well, let, let the poor guys have a, have a crack at a well, proper said the Aussies have been chatting to him for about six months. And then when the whole Hanson thing came to its end and they looked for uh, 3,000 applicants for the All Blacks job, they contacted <laughs> Rennie and Rennie said no, and it was too late. But then New Zealand have been saying, okay. no, no, we've known about it for some time, which appears to me it sounds like damage control with some of their keyboard warriors uh, doing their bidding and kind of confirming their story. Yo, well, it, it, it does kind of sound like... They're trying to cover their tracks. They, New Zealand. They, well, even if they did, even if they knew, they knew he was in discussions with Australia, but they still said, "Hey, do you want to come have a look at this New Zealand job?" So, I don't know. Mm. To me, it's still a bit of a coup by Australia. I think. Uh, I think so. No, it is. Really it's, give uh, it to them. And yeah. we'll be. But what is interesting, he takes over in June, which is a little bit late. I'm sure he'll be on the phone with him and, and all that nonsense, but. Uh, it's quite late to get started. I know Rassi pretty much had the same thing because we took an age to um, move. Yeah, but but Rassi at least had that director of rugby position where he uh, that's true. was sort of pulling strings before that. That's true. Uh, well, yeah, that, that segues mm-hmm. into our feature, The Tale of Three Coaches, where we will be discussing just the lives and fortunes of Michael Chaker, Steve Hansen, and Rassi Rasmus. So since we're on Australia, uh, we'll start with Michael Chaker, and I guess I'll try to structure this with some structure, kind of talking about their legacy, uh, and then maybe where to for the team that they previously managed. Do, I don't do, do you want to do you want to start checker with the with the stop drop and pole, which we haven't had in a while since our yes, yeah, actually let's do that. Our 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 issues with Dave, let's say that. Huh? Yeah. Mm. So what was what was the stop drop and pole? It was oh sorry, I don't I don't have it in front of uh, me, wait, but wait, it was basically. I'll bring it up for you then. But continue. Yeah, it was, what, what, what's wrong with Australian, what's been wrong with Australian rugby over the last, um, yeah, over what, the what, last, what has, been the, what has been the Wallabies' biggest issue in the last few years? That was the exact wording. Yeah. Yeah. You guys want to hear the options? And they, uh, I have them here. Yeah. 
We have uh, okay. check your relationship in, with in, players and administrators. In reverse order. Well, let's, go, let's, go, let's go in reverse Frank order. So Gallagher the, from Shakers. So, I don't get that one. Consistency, Ned Hannigan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> players getting bigger than the game. Tactics, uh, Corey Betty was the only genuine wing and he is average. Hodge, Hader, Petty, Adam, Magic, Cooper, and Falah are not wings. I see you voted for that one, Ben, uh, along with a few others. Mm. Uh, their best player and is a Rage... Andrew really, Andrew really showed his working on that one, eh? Yeah, and uh, their best player is a raging homophobic bigot. Um, game plans, or lack thereof. And then the overall winner, uh, check your relationship with players and administrators. So that was 23 versus 17 with the lack of game plans. Uh, then followed so by the raging check- homophobic bigot with nine after that. So basically, check was, check was the problem. Yeah. I don't know. I, mean, um, I I don't I don't know. Like I was I was saying, um, I think it was on Mitch's post because. So Mitch, shout out to Mitch Evans who was saying it's, that you know, as, it's as happy easy as he is to, get, to blame get the coach. Yeah. Can, can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah. Sorry, my yeah. dropped for a second. Um, but like, yeah, Mitch. Mitch was basically saying like, you know, as as, as good as it is to get a coach like Dave Rainey, um. It's not like Checker was actually all that bad. We played against the Australian team eight times under Checker, and we only we only beat them three times. They only beat us three times with two draws. But like, it wasn't like it wasn't he, he wasn't that bad. Like it wasn't a really big disaster. Um, so I don't know. Like it just seems like we shouldn't scapegoat him too much. I maintain that as bad as Checker was. And this is going to sound a bit harsh. Australia just doesn't have good rugby players, and that's been the case for a long time. We've always said that their Super Rugby franchise are, th- are basically trash, but they always put together a good, a good starting lineup. And even that's now becoming a bit of a struggle for them. I do think that that like they'll still be able to compete at a high level because they will produce some elite sportsmen, but it's getting worse and worse. Like they're losing a lot of players to other sports. They don't have as much support in the stands that they used to have. Like, their stadiums are often empty. I don't know. I think it's it's bigger. I think rugby union's in trouble in South Africa, in, in Australia. Well, they, they just need to start winning, unfortunately, which makes it... That, that's yeah, no, no, you know, everyone, everyone, everyone loves a winner, but also the World... Sorry, Ben, we lost you. You're going to say the World Cup? Uh, Australia set up... I thought his mindset that was bad. Yeah, clearly, clearly Ben Ben is is suffering uh, a little bit. Uh, while we wait for Ben to reconnect, uh, I, well, I guess I was going to elaborate. The only schedule set up is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, listeners, we do we having we having technical difficulties. Uh, I think Ben will interrupt me, but I think we could be based even on the World Cup. They weren't quite the settled unit. Even towards the back end, I mean, maybe you could say a little bit about Hanson as well, which is surprising. They weren't quite settled on their best side, and he had only really changed their team to what ended up in the World Cup this season. Am I back? Ah, uh, there you go. Uh, sounds yes. like you're back, yeah. Yes, sounds like you're back, yeah. Sorry about that, guys. So you're going to say Sorry. about the World Cup and the Wallabies? I thought you were going to it, wasn't, it wasn't so much the World Cup. It's just similar to South Africa. But Australia just doesn't have a lot of easy games in their in their sort of, um, in their kind of yearly schedule. Because if you think about it, they normally, so so, so, so now, I don't, who's touring them now? Ireland in the mid-year tour? I'm not sure. 
Yeah, well, we got bloody Scotland and Georgia. Yeah, no, but, but basically either Ireland, England, Wales, or Scotland will tour Australia or France. So I guess between those, England, Wales, Ireland, Australia are below them in the world rankings. Okay. Then they, then they play the rugby championship where at the moment their only sort of easy game is Argentina at home, huh? Yeah, uh, pretty yeah, much. pretty much. And then they go at the end, at the end of this season. They they tour in June. You know when Alex already says they have a they have a small player base. So by the end of this season, you know they they walking wounded. And then they they playing again in kind of foreign conditions. Blah blah blah. And probably maybe they get a game against Italy. Maybe they get a game against Scotland. So basically, in the whole season, they have three sort of gimme games, if you want to. Uh, yeah, and even, yeah. Argentina, even Argentina at home, they always seem to struggle uh, against Argentina. Yeah, like, 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 like there isn't, but they is, just don't. Is this a bad thing? Well, in, you know, if, you, if you're down on confidence, it is a bad thing. Because, you know, you just want to, like, learn how to win. Or remember, remember how to win yeah. more than anything. I don't know. Cause, I cause, think the cause, no, because, you know, it's kind of like what we say with the... When people say, no, you should just put Japan in the rugby championship or whatever. And we say it won't help Japan because, you know, they'll just be the whipping boys. Australia could fall into a position like that where actually they, the, the level of rugby is too high for them to actually improve. I don't know. I mean, they, they, beat, they beat New Zealand this year. Oh, I guess so. so that was a weird one. Eh? That came out of nowhere. That was a weird one. No, I don't know. I, I think I hear what you're saying, but I think... I just think the problem is is much deeper than that. It begins at super rugby level, and the fact that they Alex, are you eating? Like, I think it's yeah. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't hear that you're eating. I'm learned, I'm learned to know. <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> Stop your pain. Uh, okay, 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 com, 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 comment, comment down below. What do you think Alex is eating? <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, sorry about that. <laughs> I swallowed my food. Okay, so um. I, I think it's it's the same phenomenon that you're talking about, but I don't think at the Wallabies level. I think the Wallabies usually get pretty good turnout, like quite a quite good support. And I think the Australians are actually deluded enough to still think that they're like a top three team, even with all like with losing all those games in a year that you're talking about, just because of the one or two they get off like New Zealand every now and again. But I think the problem is at Super Rugby level. I don't I don't think that Australians care about their Super Rugby franchises enough, or enough Australians do at least. I think that if you watch, like, you tune into Super Rugby matches, like the Brumbies and the Reds, whatever, it's just so tepid. Like, they, it's even worse than in SA. In SA, it's already bad. It just seems like there's so few people living in those cities who really, like, care that the rugby's happening. Um, do, do I think what? that's in, what's in, getting in the way of their recruitment and their, their partners. In, in SA... In SA, there's a bit of an excuse because the economy and stuff in SA isn't in a good position. Yeah. Your true. your sort of average person doesn't have whatever it is, four or five in a rand to, you know, take the family to to go watch a Super Rugby game. Yeah. In Australia, yeah. they do. It's just it's apathy more than anything. that You know, like, they, it's fucking chump change for them. You know, it's what you pay for a Big Mac and chips or yeah. whatever. Well, look, I mean, I don't want to... I don't want to demonize it, but like they, they're entitled to whatever they like. They just, it seems like they don't like union. They want to watch Aussie rules. They want to watch league. They want to watch cricket. 
I don't know, water polo, whatever else they got going on. Uh, it's it's le- or league. It's all good. Leading the leagues in inferior. Yeah, league, leagues, leagues the big the big killer. But it's whatever. Like they've they've made their decision. It's it's I don't know. Like I don't know. They're gonna have to find a way domestically, and at schoolboy level and at club level to convince talented sportsmen. And I mean, we all know Australia is like a hotbed of of athleticism and talent. It goes like almost every sport that they really put their mind to, they excel at. So. They need to find a way to get like state-sponsored schooling programs or whatever, whatever it takes, to convince promising young athletes that rugby union is where they want to be. And until they do that, it, it doesn't matter who's coaching them. Um, you know, it's the same. I mean, even like look at Japan's success in the rugby. I mean, in the World Cup, it wasn't built on like domestic strength. It was built on, let's be honest, like it was built on migrating players. Um, and like fast tracked systems, which were then buoyed up by state like subsidies, essentially. Like they, they forced their way to being a, a respectable rugby nation. Whereas Australia can't do that at the moment. Like they, they're too far gone. So they're going to have to like kind of go back to square one and, and figure out how they need, how they get to recapture the hearts and minds of the Australian public. Um, and yeah, it's, it begins at the, at grassroots, I think. Yeah, I know. Actually, I also saw a piece of news that uh, they've also started up a new rugby academy. Um, where did I see that on stuff? I'm just trying to see here. Oh, yeah. It's also, by the way, we did actually miss this. The Crusaders are going to reveal the new logo um, in the next few weeks. So we'll just find out about that. Okay, I can't find the story, but they're looking okay. to start. They look at they are looking to start a rugby academy that's very similar to the one that Murray Maxted started in New Zealand about 15, 20 years ago, which I think plays, plays to that point. And I'm not too familiar. I, I My assumption with rugby in Australia is that a lot of the private schools are where a lot of the players come from. Uh, I don't think it's like as why. I don't think it's like... It's yeah, like, I, 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 I don't think I don't think schools play league. I think leagues through clubs. Oh, uh, is it? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, I don't know where I'm getting that from, but I think I remember something like that. Uh, okay. uh, also, something we, we should talk about while we're on Australia is uh, Samu Karevi wanting to play for Fiji now. Oh, shit, yeah, you're right, eh? Um, yeah, that's, I think this is more of a, a, a phenomenon that's going to take, I think, happen. Across. I know Tonga in rugby league, a lot of players move over to play for them now. They, they've improved a lot in rugby league. So I, I have a strong suspicion that we might see more of this taking place. As uh, rugby becomes um, woke, I don't think not be, current, not, not currently, not currently. They need, to, need to change the laws. There have been calls that they make law changes in this respect, but I don't know how you how that plays out practically speaking. So the idea is basically you you can you can shift down a tier um, after like a two to three year sabbatical from the sport is what is what people are suggesting. Yeah, uh, so I, I, I don't mind that. So, so, so it picks up the the tier tier two, tier, tier three teams. Yeah, I mean, because essentially what will happen is that a lot of guys like like Revi or um, Vakatawa will, you know, even let's say Beast, for example, just to keep it balanced, will move to a, a tier one country in order to have a professional to have a career in rugby because you can't do that in a lot of tier two nations. And then the, the tier, one, tier one nations will gobble them up, cap them, play them, get their best years out of them, and then kind of ditch them. And at that point, they kind of want to go home 
because they don't have an international career anymore. Um, but, you know, so why shouldn't they then continue the international career with their original home nation? Uh, that's the that's kind of the argument, you know. So no one really loses. It's not like it's not like Karevi was, you know, in the midst of his international career for Australia. He's kind of called time on that already by leaving, by going to France. I yeah, that's I, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, I think it's a little bit opportunistic. Um, so for example, Karevi could still play for Australia in terms of skill or talent. Like it's not like he's you know, he's not he's not old either. What's he like? Twenty seven or twenty six? No, it's just. But I mean, it's just that Australia have a policy of like, they've got Gitter's law or whatever. Like they that's going to change definitely. I yeah, think. I'm sure. I'm sure it will. But like, I don't know. I I think it's a bit opportunistic, and I don't like international representation being used this way. I think that it smacks far too much of club rugby mentality and being like a mercenary where you pay for your play, you play for pay. Um, I accept that it's the reality of the sport, um, but I don't like it. I, th- I think it devalues international selection. If yeah, look, and I know I know this sounds like very conservative and maybe even a bit jingoistic or something. I can't. Maybe I don't explain it very well, but I feel like if Samuel Gravy, you know, cared so much about Fiji in the first place, then he would have played for them in the first place, like Nemanja Nadola did, for example. The biggest issue we have is that tier two nations don't get the support and scheduling that they deserve. So a promising Fijian player is tempted to play for France or England or Australia instead of Fiji because well, there's not the, enough money well, and exposure in play. But, but I, I remember when I was looking when I was doing my review of Samoa, it was like guys who like debuted in like 2014 who had like 20 caps, which is yeah, which is I'm, crazy if, if you think about it. If if you debuted for South Africa in 2014, you would be close on 100 caps now. Yeah. 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 So it's like... Well, maybe. But I mean, so this, this is what I'm saying. Like, I, I think that the fact that we have players wanting to just, like, hop from one nation to another doesn't sit well for me because it, it just feels like we're cheapening international representation. Like, it's supposed to kind of mean something to you. But I think, it, I, think it's a, I think it's a symptom. I don't think it's a problem in and of itself. I think it's a symptom of the fact that promising and talented tier two nation uh, players are given a choice between you either play for another country that you don't necessarily fully consider to be your own or you don't play international rugby at all. And that's an unfair decision that they they shouldn't have to make that choice. Yeah, okay. I thought you were, you were leaving that, but uh, it's also it's about money. A lot of these players, like I know uh, Wazaki, yeah. uh, just as an example, Naholo, Wazaki Naholo, he's supporting uh, numerous family members for his salary. And then it was also the question of the clubs. Nadolo, by all right, should have been at the World Cup this year, but uh, I mean, it wasn't really stated, but we, it's been suggested a lot in rugby circles that, that why am I speaking like that? Ugh, excuse me, I don't know why I slipped, slipped accents there. <laughs> Uh, that the clubs also they don't make life easy for the players, particularly with the travel demands that that it's so far. You travel yeah. to New Zealand and even further. Um, yeah, do, it's a quite a complex s- issue. So, do you think if Fiji had Nadolo, they would have been in Australia? Uh, yes. If Fiji had Nadolo and Hart got sent off, maybe. Yes. Yeah, yeah. De- definitely. Yeah, dude, Nadolo, 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 Tuisova, and Radradra, and Ben Volavola. In the same backline, like 100% they're going to win that game. <laughs> That's a better backline than Australia's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably actually, uh, mostly. Well, let's turn our attention then to, I guess, the, the team across the ditch. 
uh, who, I mean, they've Oh, just, just this way, wait, we didn't talk so much about Rainey. So, oh, Rainey, right. obviously, he's a bit more of a, he's a bit more of like a, a thinker than Checo, like it has been, the media have been going on about like, yay, we have an intelligent coach, and you kind of think that's kind of the only criteria a coach really needs. But yeah, um, so we, we, we like Rainey as a choice? I do because yeah. um, as much as Australia irritate me uh, at all, all forms of sport, he showed at the Chiefs when he started the Chiefs um, that he managed to build a squad. That's the only thing hanging over Scott Robinson said. The crew says, like, oh, he's never faced adversity, which I don't think is entirely true, actually. But Rennie managed to take a group of players and made them better. Jamie Joseph took a group of players and made them better. So I think he's a very good fit for Australia. There's a the talent's there. It's a question of squeezing every bit of bit, bit and piece it, pieces that you can out of it, in a way. So, um, and tactically, he's quite astute. He's got experience in the Northern Hemisphere. So, I, I, I think as you use the word coup, I think so. And just a final point. I'm interested to see in the next five to ten years, it's already happening in Australian cricket, the amount of South Africans, ex-heritage like, South Africans, are going to start coming into the Australian rugby system as well. Um I, I, I don't know. I just think there's a lot of people that have emigrated, and you'll be you'll be see, seeing a few more Labouches. Lab uh, there's no minors, but He's he pretty much grew up in Australia. He scored his first century for Australia against Pakistan. I called him uh, Labouches. <laughs> so I'm, I'm interested to see also how that element's going to change it too, beyond drawing on um, Pacific nations um, and other immigrant communities. Yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a symptom of the world, huh? Yeah, that's true. Um, I need some tea. I don't, I don't mind that. I, I no, actually no, quite no. like it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm interested to see how, um, how it goes in the next five to ten years. I think like it's, it, it's a source of, it's a source of pride to see so many South African origin players or like uh, players of South African descent playing top level sport for other countries. I think it's something to be proud of. And I, I quite like it as well because I think it must hurt Australians that you know <laughs> they need a Kochlenberg or a Labuschagne or yeah. whatever playing for them. Like it must, it must, it must irk them a bit. Eh? No, that's yeah. what I mean. Like it's like we, it, it's like a win-win for us. You know, if we were to play against a, an Australian team in ten years' time, who were mostly like first or second generation immigrants from South Africa, I wouldn't feel like embarrassed to lose them. I'd be like, well doesn't surprise me that we we produced such good rugby players and then allowed them to turn no. out for other nations you know it's like shows our genetic superiority i say us of course i'm not mm. South african but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah let's uh well let's move on across the ditch uh, to new zealand steve hansen's left uh, a 12-year career eight of which is head coach and new zealand are very much in a place of transition i don't think we've seen them in this way since probably the 2007 world cup uh, I, I know that Graham Henry stayed on to win the next World Cup, which I shouldn't have because France should have won the final. But um, now the big debate is over their new coach. And it's now down to Jamie Joseph re-signing with Japan. Rennie is now out of the race. Down to Ian Foster, the current assistant, who I think I think they're being knocked out in the semifinals. There's a massive black mark on his CV. And then someone who's apparently not quite with the establishment, Scott Robinson. There's New Zealand right BR. As they say, an old boys club, very conservative in their thinking, so they've got a very stark choice to make. Um, the one thing I'll note to kick off the conversation is how unprepared New Zealand were. They were trying to still find their best 15 uh, six months out, out of the World Cup. 
which surprised me. In the previous cycle, you knew. You knew who their best 15 was. This time around, that even they were even making fundamental changes to their system and their style of play, which that surprised me. You expect New Zealand to be a bit more organised than that. Yeah, it's almost like Hansen does know what he's doing. Yeah. Someone's been saying that on this pod for quite some time. Someone? Yeah, I'm just yeah. not sure who. Um, can, I, can I just say, generally, with this New Zealand coaching job, I honestly think it's probably the hardest coaching job in the world, in a way. Because... Well, well, actually, maybe England is because just the public and the media and stuff. But you, you're expected. You pick. You picking up this massive legacy straight away, huh? You know, and you could have a like Hanson. What's his fucking winning record? Like ninety-two percent or whatever. Yeah, it's and people, yeah. and people like me still have a go at him, kind of thing, because you you're inheriting such a rugby culture. Such a such a legacy of winning, and you expected to carry this on like unless you winning it like basically any any single defeat as a New Zealand coach you're gonna cop flack like it's such a hard job to have. Yeah, I think the pressure must be insane. Uh, the fact that I think that won the previous two World Cups made this exit a bit easier to swallow. Also, the fact that England completely outplayed them. Uh, in a way, eliminated any thoughts of referee con- controversy, same as uh, us in the final. But, you know, I guess you're right, eh? Um, and it's very fundamental. You've got to really rebuild. Sam Whitelock, there are thoughts that he'd be locked in as the next captain. That's not so sure. Uh, Kieran Reed's gone. And number eight, there's a big question. Also in key positions, 12, 13. Where yeah, like, like the, the whole the whole back row composition, their center pairing, their, even their, their, this Barrett Moanga thing. Like, people don't know... Especially if Scott Robinson comes in. Mm. I think like, should. is he going to... He should. They should choose him. If they don't, it's a mistake. Because Raiding Castle... Yeah, but, but, but in some ways, though, because I think running a super rugby team is different to running an international team, though. Hey? No, no, of course it is. But well, yeah. But I mean, because no, super no. rugby team, you know, you have those guys for whatever it is, 35 weeks a year. Mm. Yeah. International... Like, obviously, the World Cup is a bit of an exception. But... Generally, you just kind of get the guys for like two weeks. You have to implement your systems quickly and then kind of execute at the highest level. Like, it's not it's not easy being an international coach. No, no, no. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just think you really need a complete uh, ideological revamp. They need to move on because essentially, if they keep Foster, they're taking their, their people back all the way to 2011. The same coaching staff because Hansen was linked to him. Well, no, well, this is because... Because Hansen was Graham Henry's assistant. That's what I'm saying. They need a need a new uh, need a regime overhaul. Personally speaking, uh, maybe Robertson doesn't yeah. believe in the 10-15 oh. combination. I just think they need they need to take a break from that system. It's proved very successful, but I think some new thinking would be appropriate. But maybe yeah. maybe it turns into a disaster. Well, I, I I think New Zealand rugby has, without doubt, has the talent. So they could sort yeah. of they could yeah. cra- they could crack the egg in any number of ways. But yeah, I I do think uh, I do think a breath of fresh air is probably in order because yeah, like I I don't know maybe maybe Foster is a is a mastermind, but to me at least, him and Hansen weren't ex- they were just kind of putting the players on the field and letting their talent kind of ride through, and eventually that bit them in the arse. Mm. I I don't know. I think we 
We over over exaggerating like how bad things are for New Zealand at the moment. Like they're <laughs> <It's> grim times, <laughs> Se- yeah. second in the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no, I think I think if I was them, I'd go. I would go Ian Foster. I think just because, like you guys pointed out, you know, it's it's a continuation of the legacy, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I would probably. I I think I would err on the side of, you know, you pass the baton from. From Graham Henry to Stan Hansen, Hansen to Foster, I think institutional knowledge like that. I mean, th- think about it like it was as if it was any other job, guys. You don't want to just like have a complete overhaul and knee-jerk reaction, like turf everyone out and retrench guys and get in like some slick new CEO, you know, who built his own startup from the ground up to not, to, to you know be a billionaire or whatever. I, it's like what you said, Ben. Like it's a different, it's a different creature. And I think getting in Scott Robertson, Scott Robertson, is the kind of move that I would expect like Australia to make. Yo, well, that, that's kind of that, that's that's what I wanted to talk about on this. How each of the three original Tri Nations teams actually, at this point in their development, have actually very different requirements in a coach. Yeah, like there definitely isn't there isn't one perfect coach who could cover all three roles. Because I do think right. Australia need to literally throw the baby out with the bathwater and just start from scratch. Yeah. But, but New Zealand, yeah, you you need you need someone who is willing to tweak the systems, because obviously yeah. not everything's perfect. But at the same time, yeah, you don't want to chuck it all away. Yeah. So if I was them, I'd I'd kind of play cool. I'd stick to the script and just keep the succession line going. Um, at the same time, I mean, like from my personal perspective, I just think some we got to get Scott Robertson out of Super Rugby. Like he's terrorizing us. <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't handle this fucking guy in my in my games anymore. <laughs> he's just like kicking the shit out of us every opportunity. Um, uh, can we just have a few? So we've been running for over an hour now. Um, so just a few final thoughts, maybe on New Zealand before before turning turning our attention to to South Africa. I think Hanson, Hanson, Hanson. Yeah. What? They could have just got a giant teddy bear to do it. Is that your final thought on, on New Zealand? Yes. Okay, Alex, your that's, final that's thought? My, that's my educated opinion. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to say irrespective of, of, of what Ben's saying, um, I think they're going to be back at a point where they have the world's best players within a couple of years anyway. So I don't think it matters all that much. They get in I think uh, they they have the world's best players now, definitely. Um, well, I don't know. So Sonny Bill Williams is going, Kieran Reid going, Owen Frank's gone, Dan Cole's on his way out, Sam Whitelock on his way out. Um, like so, let's let's break it down. Do they have any of the world's best front rows? No. Mm, a Cody Taylor? He's not. He's not one of the best hookers in the world. He's like, I don't think he's, I don't think he's, uh, he's like top five. I don't think he's top, like, three, I don't think. Um, but okay, Cody Taylor. Um, do they have, okay, they've got, they've got Brody Retallick. Um, yeah, they've got so Sevier. but I don't know, like, they don't seem to know how to get the best out of him. Yeah, the Hurricanes get better use out of Audi than New Zealand, true. Yeah. And then other than him, I mean, like, you're looking at guys like Sam Kane, Shannon Frizzell, if he's even their blind side, we don't even know. Like, they're all over the place with the loose forwards. Um, okay, 9, 10, 
I would say they're still probably the best in the world. Um, centers, they're losing Crossy, yeah, they're losing Sunny Phil. But Goodhue good and Leonard Brown will be the best in the world. They will not be. Yet, that's, though, and, right, that, and that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And it's the same with the outside backs. They've lost Ben Smith. I don't even know if Bowden Barrett's going to play fullback for, the, for them. Jordy Barrett and guys like Bridge and Rico. I mean, Rico's just fallen off a cliff lately. So I just think they, they're in like a bit of a slump. But in the next two years, all those players and a couple of new guys coming through will probably be challenging for the best in the world again. And then, yeah, yeah they could they could just get another big teddy bear. In oh, so I, was, I was reading quite an interesting thing. I was reading quite an interesting thing about the sort of the pipeline of New Zealand talent and how the first, I think they won the first four under 20 World Cups. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think I read that. And then since then, I think they've only won, I think they won in 2015. And recently, I think they came seventh or something in the last one. Yeah. So there is actually a bit of a concern is maybe these new guys you're talking about actually aren't up to scratch. Uh, could be, yeah. Under 20, we have talked about this, how it's a, it's a different yeah. beast, really. I've just been looking at the Super Rugby teams, and I think that the, the talent is definitely still there. Your God, if you compare them to, like, the Rebel squads, you're a shit. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Uh, uh, I guess uh, my final one is, yeah, they're going through generational change. I think you made a good point. A lot of players are there and thereabouts, and the, and the spine of their team is uncertain. I think that tells you everything you need to do. And Dan Coles, I'm not going to pick Dan Coles and draft this year, guys. Yeah, you're more than welcome to take him. Due to his injuries. Okay. Yeah, Sweet. Just, 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 Thanks. Just putting it out there. Uh, Thanks, Adam. Yeah, no, my, my pleasure, guys. Don't worry, I've got my draft sheet here. So I'll be working on it for days and weeks. I don't believe you. <laughs> it's fine. Pro- not, when, prove it by, re- by reading out the first five names. Uh, no, I won't do that. <laughs> you so, almost did it, though. You I, almost did I, I thought about it again. I thought about <laughs> crap. Let's look. Let's just lastly look at South Africa. No, sorry, we've been running for about just over an hour and ten minutes now. Rassi Rasmus, he is still the director of rugby. We do need a new coach. There have been, there has been talk of him being the hidden hand. Whoever he appoints, there was talk that I've lost the name of the defensive consultant. And you can some of his pick it up for me. Jo- Niam Naba. Yeah, yeah that he will be the next Springbok coach. Beyond that, we've heard very little, particularly from uh, the Afrikaans media, who have their sources within SRAP, which we've seen from Havoc. Yeah, like, like, but I, I've been reading some weird things. How it's just like sources quoting sources, and I don't, I can't really get it down to the. Um, because, you know, it's like News24 will quote an article by Sport24 who will quote an article by SA Rugby yeah. who will quote... Like, yeah, it's just... How deep does the rabbit hole go? Like, I, I don't I don't think anyone knows, basically. No. But what does this mean? Like, the fact that... Essentially, well, well no. this, this, is, this is my sort of thing. Do we want, essentially, just a puppet that's just going to implement what Rossi says? I, I mean... Probably? Personally, I just... I just want Russi. Like, I, I don't see why. If we're going to have a puppet, why not just have Russi do it full-time? Like, why should we continue with this farce? Because if that's what the arrangement is, like, why spend an extra salary on a so-called head coach when Russi's doing the job anyway? No, well, this, this is sort of my argument. So if they say, no, we should get Nino, but because he's Russi's man and he's going to do what Russi says, Alex is right, we should just stick with Russi. 
So if yeah. we should either bring in someone new, who we like, okay, listen, Rassi will influence him to some extent, but he will bring some fresh ideas as well. Or we should stick yeah. with Rassi. I, I don't see there's any point in bringing in someone who's within Rassi's um, entourage or whatever you'd call it. Yeah, that's what I think. Just keep him as head coach. And I think it's fine. Like, I would say keep him as head coach for the next, like, until British and Irish Lions tour. And then at that point, hopefully a more obvious replacement emerges. Because I think it's a huge slap in the face to take, to look at, to, to overlook all the head coaches, not just in South Africa, but, you know, internationally as well, like the, the Dave Rennies of the world, and say to them, we actually think that our like current defensive coach is the best fit for the world champions. Who's never held a head He's yeah. like a physiotherapist or something. Exactly. He's, he's never, ever had a head coach position. And that, that, for me, shows this to be the mockery that it is, which is that Rossi is going to continue being the head coach in all but name. And, like, they obviously no other head coach in the world is, is prepared to work under those conditions. Mm-hmm. And Rossi isn't prepared to have to try and twist the arm of someone like Dave Rennie every time he wants to get something done. Jacques Nibar, Ninov is like, fuck it, yeah, I get to be... I get to put a head coach at the Springboks on my CV. I get to face the odd press conference. And then... Like everything else, Rusty's going to do for me. Like I'll just basically be doing a more advanced version of my current role, so and for more pay. So obviously, Jacques Ninov is going to be like a big time winner. Rusty's going to be a big time winner because he gets to you know pull the strings from his his puppet master's position in the shadows. Um, and I'm sure you know South African rugby will be fine, but it just seems like weird. It just seems a bit kind of disrespectful and like a gimmicky. I would say. Rusty stays on. We keep the current arrangement. Obviously, it's a winning formula. We don't. We change nothing until after the British Irish Lions tour, and at that point, we bring in a replacement head coach, proper head coach, who's going to be actually you know, be able to exercise his own mind, um, and we give them a two-year brief to work towards the World Cup. We tell them that we expect a top four finish, nothing, nothing less, um, and then. If they achieve that, we lock them in for a further four years to build towards 2027. And that's like yeah. the long-term plan. And Rusty can still continue to act as director of rugby. And, and if that goes well, if it goes well, the two-year plan for the 2023 World Cup, Rusty can then step back from a lot of his sort of management duties and start focusing on development of rugby because that's actually where we need him the most. So uh, that would be my long-term plan for, for the role. Well, yeah, because also to me, I like I like that South Africa is coached by a South African. Like I think that's yeah. that's something we should try and maintain. Okay. Yeah, if possible. Yeah, obviously desperate times, but I don't think it's desperate times at, at this point too. Well, we are world champions, so I think we're probably okay for a while. Yeah, we are. We are world champions. Uh, um, just in case you have been watching. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so if you actually look at it. There is okay. Um, the Potter Human, the Bulls coach, he's just done. What was this? His first season at the Bulls or second season now? Uh, yeah, I think it was just a couple. He's had a couple. Yeah, yeah. Well, to to be honest, like uh, to be, I think that's his level. Like he seems to be doing all right with the Bulls, but that's kind of you know he's been with the Bulls for whatever it was yeah. since 1996 or something. He's not a He's not a, you know, he's not an international coach. He's not a big move and shaker. You know, that's that's where he is. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not a realistic candidate. No, I don't think so. Okay, Western Province just ditch Fleck. I don't want Fleck anywhere near the Springboks. Dobson obviously, obviously 
you know, Dobson hasn't coached anything above. I think he's a good coach, but mm. yeah, yeah, he's no prove himself. Yeah, Swayze obviously. I think he could have been maybe, but I think um, that was the plan. I think your circum- circumstances circumstances yeah. have come to light that Swayze isn't a isn't a viable option. Okay. Then uh, the Sharks, now they have... Who's the new Sharks coach? I don't even know. Uh, Sean Everett. Yeah, Sean yeah. Everett. But before that, they had bloody uh, Rob Dupria, who, yeah, I think... Yeah. I think that speaks for itself. So there isn't there isn't really a, a very clear candidate, because then people talk about Sean Rue, who no one really likes. Yeah. And then people talk about Dion Davids, who again, like, like he's kind of been around the block a bit, but he hasn't really had any proper success with the team. Mm. Yeah, that this is this is. So I'm, I mean, I'm following a train of thought, and like, so okay, the one the one name that you didn't mention, but also would be in the mix is run is uh, Ackerman. So you're oh, yeah, yeah. Ackerman. Yeah, he seems, but he seems to have kind of made it clear that he's actually not interested right now. Um, like he's got a good thing going in the, in France, and like this yeah, is what I'm saying. Like England, almost Gloucester, Gloucester, so England, yeah, so so. Um, but like almost every single one of the names that you mentioned, for me, feel like they're about two to three years away from being in the in the running, for being yeah. able to actually co- compete. So again, like why are we then running into rushing into a a change at a time when we don't actually have the resources to affect it. And I guess this is why they're going with, you know, a known entity in Jacques Nina, but, but I just don't see the value in it. I think that you rather take a step back, look at the coaching um, horizon, acknowledge that all of these guys need a year or two more of experience under their belts before they can, you know, feel ready to step up to something like that. And then just give them the time. Wait until they're ready. And after the British and Irish Lions tour, I've got a feeling that at least one or two of those guys, including guys like Dobson and Everett, who by that point will have had three full seasons of Super Rugby under their belt, will be in a much better position to be able to say, oh, this guy's good enough to go to Springboks. We can't speculate on him now. So why even bother? Yeah, a coach isn't a a kind of thing where you, like, recruit young and then, like, no, they can learn the role. Like, that's that's not a clever thing to do with a coach. You need someone who's already qualified for the position, basically. And at the moment, it's just Rusty. Rusty's the only option. So, like, why are we fucking around? Yeah, I forgot. I forgot about. I forgot about Ackerman. I wouldn't mind him. Yeah, if you brought him yeah, back. He, does, he doesn't want it. Not yet. Maybe. Maybe. It yeah, but also, say. also, but but the thing is, he's he's a strong character as well. Mm. So he wouldn't. He wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't play well. Like, like to to me, he he's not gonna tow tow the Rassi line. Like he wanted yeah. to do his, Like I can't see it lasting for longer than six months if they bring an Akuma. Yeah, I'd probably they say twenty 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 three is more likely for him. Yeah, but well, I would I would say bring him in twenty twenty one after the British and Irish Lions tour, and then Rassi steps back fully from the duties, not just half hearted nonsense that he's gonna do with Ninaba. And then you take you, you let a guy with Ackerman's you know pedigree if if that's what he has at that point, just do what he wants the same as you did with Rusty. And then you know they have their separate spheres of influence and they hopefully won't clash. But yeah, it's just it's it's not going to end well, I don't think. Yeah. Well then, well let's t- turn from the coaching box. Let's maybe look at 
the playing stocks. Uh, Beasts retired. Francolo, they've retired. Um, are we gonna are we gonna do this now? Let's let's do this in another episode. Let's um, call this one. I think. Okay. Sure, Ben. Yeah. Oh, quite equivocal. <laughs> Okay. Um, sorry. Oh, I've, I've got I've got some I've got a rack of I've got a rack of lamb to bright guys. Uh, I'm pretty excited enough. about it. I, I don't have that, time to. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, there you go, Ben. I guess final thoughts then. Just on, on uh, what's what's going to go happen with the box over the next two years? Maybe just from the coaching side, and if we see any major changes from from playing stocks, or will it be more of the same? I think I think the changes we'll see will be obviously we'll stop pulling on foreign players for the next two years, I would guess. Yeah. So, so that'll obviously, and then there have been those retirements. So we'll see, I think it'll be good. I think we'll see enough, enough new players to kind of keep things exciting, keep things fresh. I do think that was a, a weakness of ours from our win in, in 07 going up to 2011 that we kind of, try to just squeeze as much as we could out of our World Cup winners mm. instead of really embracing the new talent. So I think um, I think hopefully we we've le- we learn from that and we, we do kind of put Oaks out to pasture when necessary and kind of start blooding new players now. So by the time the next World Cup comes around, these guys are on 30, 40 caps and are ready for it. Mm. Mm. So... Yeah, with with the coaching thing, I agree with Alex. Why 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 change a winning formula? To be honest, like, yeah. Mm. Mm. You know, I I'd, I'd really have anything further to add. You guys said it all. That's why, that's why this is an, an elite podcast. <laughs> the, the hive mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. That, that's it. Uh, if you have listened, thank you so much. I know this conversation meandered, but I hope you've enjoyed it uh, wherever you may be around the world. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, I think we will be publishing an updated schedule of which and when episodes uh, are going to be coming out. Um, but we'll, we will let you know. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening. We will catch you next week.